Well, thank you, worship team, as as always, that was absolutely amazing. Wasn't it an amazing time just have uh, time in the, in worship this morning? So, who's excited about hearing the word of God this morning? <laughs> I'm really excited to be um, able to bring the word this morning. So, um, I'm just going to be taking, as, as Chris said, um, uh, over the last couple of months, those of you that've been attending, we've been going through our series of anchored. And um, we've covered some amazing topics. I was just going through them yesterday. We've covered the question, what are you answered to? Storms come, but the Lord remains. Anchored in light, not darkness. Anchored in hope, love, peace, praise, and power. And um, so I hope you've been feeling a lot encouraged over the last few weeks about how we are anchored and in, in all of these wonderful things that we've been sharing. Um, and ultimately, I think over the last few months, we've been just honing in on the fact that ultimately we're anchored to Jesus. And um, I was just thinking this through, um, <clears throat> you know, how it connects us um, to Jesus through being anchored in Jesus and anchored directly into the throne room of heaven because Jesus has gone before us, makes intercession for us. And so what a wonderful, privileged position that we have um, with Jesus interceding for us on a daily basis. And so this should give us really great confidence um, of who we are and how we live our lives as Christians on this earth, knowing all these wonderful things. But as we bring this series to a close today, we were just, I was just thinking about, so what's the bigger purpose in this? Are we, are we rooted in a firm foundation? Are we anchored to Jesus purely so that we can survive life on earth as we await Jesus' return? Or are we anchored for a bigger purpose? And when I started to think this through, I thought, actually, yes, God cares for us. He loves us. He's given us all this wonderful confidence and assurance through being anchored to Jesus because of his love and his, and his, and his, and his kind of acceptance of us. But ultimately, I think we're anchored for this bigger purpose, which is to reach out to others and to choose all of that in what we do, reaching out to others. So we're going to explore a little bit about this this morning um, in terms of how we're anchored to reach out. So if you have your Bibles, um, our main scripture this morning is going to come from the book of 2 Corinthians um, and chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading at verse 3. So it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. So my first point this morning, I'm um, just thinking about this topic of um, when we're, we're anchored to reach out, is, is the, the point really that when I'm anchored, I can reach out to save, restore, and rebuild. Isn't that an amazing thing there for a church will restore, that we're anchored to reach out, save, and restore and rebuild. So to help us put a little bit of context around this word comfort, um, what was Paul actually describing when he used the word comfort? We see the word comfort so many times over, over the Bible, but what does it actually mean? What was he actually referring to? So a few years ago, Tony and I were taking some Greek lessons, 
And uh, we didn't do very well, really, at our Greek. It's a very complicated language, really complicated. But we try our best when we're on holiday. You know, we can order a drink and a, a meal and stuff like that. But that's about as far as it goes. But I was looking up what is the Greek word, because Paul was writing this to the Corinthians, so I would imagine it would have been in, in Greek, in the ancient Greek. And the, the, the ancient Greek word for comfort is paraklesis. Anyone say that? Paraklesis. Sounds really beautiful, the Greek language. I just love the Greek language. It always sounds really beautiful. But um, which means, the Greek interpretation of this actually means to come alongside. To come alongside. Um, and, and in the, the New Testament, there, was, there were two words in Greek, um, and they were used to de- describe this. It was parakelio. It's very similar to hello, but it's not very different. And this paraklesis. And they all come from the, this one verb, kalio which means to call. And then the, the, um, the preposition power before it means the alongside. So the meaning of this is to call or to summon to one's aid, to call for help, to stand alongside of. Further meanings can be expressed um, as comfort, to encourage, to cheer up, to exhort, to ease one's pain. Um, Paul stated that God was the God and the author of all comfort. And what he gave to us we can then use from what we've received to give to others. And this was made possible through Jesus. And when we are anchored to Jesus, comfort should overflow out of us into the people that we connect with. We see in Paul's letter to the Corinthians here, there's this absolute connection between what God has given us through his grace and his goodness and that overflowing into those that we meet around us, those that we meet around us. In verse 6, it says that we've just read, it says, um, Paul uses these words, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. So there's such a divine purpose in everything that we go through in our lives. And and even though life can feel difficult and and, um, challenging at times, there is a divine purpose in what we go through in our lives. And that um, ultimately there is this, it's designed this experience that we go through creates an overflow of God's goodness for us to fundamentally help us to fulfill the Great Commission, which is what we're here, to bring comfort and salvation to a world that is lost and dying. We are called through the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And I think there's such simplicity in the message of Paul to the Corinthian church here. Really, what he's saying is what God has shown you you go and show to others. You see the connection here with the Great Commission. With what God has shown you, you go and do the same with others. So this got me thinking, if fulfilling the Great Commission um, is simply um, taking the goodness of God expressed in our lives and the overflow of that into, into others that we meet and we reach out to, Um, then why is it that so many people in this world today, despite being in desperate situations, that so many people in this world today don't want to have anything to do with Jesus or to do with going to church? And I think some of us think, well, it's just such goodness. It's so good. Why wouldn't you want to have something more in your life? Why wouldn't you want to have this? And I got thinking about this question. Why, Why is that? And maybe it's that the overflow is not that obvious sometimes in all of us, in me particularly. Maybe that overflow of God's goodness is not that, uh, is that uh, obvious. Or maybe we've lost the simplicity of how to reach others by being anchored to Jesus Christ. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus 
set out many examples of how he reached out to people. We see his love and grace just coming and abounding throughout all the examples of Jesus. And Jesus said in John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. That's his mission of coming here. Notice the complete contrast. The thief comes to steal. Jesus came to restore that which was lost. The thief comes to kill. Jesus came to save. The thief comes to destroy. And Jesus comes to rebuild fullness of life. Such a contrast. And I think this is expressed really um, powerfully in the story of the adulterous woman that we read in the book of, Ma- in the book of John, I'm going to take it from. It's a real demonstration of how Jesus saves, restores, and rebuilds an individual. And I think we can take some le- lessons from that. So I'm just going to just go through this um, from John chapter 8 uh, quickly this morning. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he came back t- at the temple again, A crowd soon gathered, and as he sat and taught them, he was speaking to teachers and religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, saying, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger, They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. In this example, we see at the beginning of this text that the woman was caught in adultery. The Pharisees seized her and pulled her in front of Jesus. I can imagine this was quite a brutal, rough kind of experience. They pulled her um, with, with, you know, in the shame that they'd caught her, and they threw her in front of Jesus and said, you know, what are you going to do? She was caught in adultery. The law says... Stone her to death. That's what the law says. Instead of debating with the Pharisees, though, Jesus stooped down and he just simply wrote in the dirt, pretty much ignoring them, I think. (laughs) After a short while, he stood up and said, He who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone at her. And one by one, we see the Pharisees, they, I guess, were reminded or convicted of their own sin in their lives. And they dropped their stones and they left. You see, at this point, Jesus demonstrated how he was saving her life. She was condemned to certain death. And I think this was an act that was quite regularly practiced in those times. If you were caught in adultery or any sort of thing, really, this was quite normal. So she was definitely condemned to death through this. And Jesus demonstrated how he saved her life. Later on in verses uh, 10 and 11, Jesus asked the woman, Where are your accusers? Has nobody condemned you? She said, no, Lord. And he responded, neither do I condemn you. Here, I think Jesus is demonstrating restoration. 
restoration of life. Here's a woman pulled out in front of everybody with nothing to live for, only shame and condemnation. And Jesus demonstrates, I don't condemn you. It's a restoration message in that. Finally, at the completion of verse 11, Jesus says to the woman, now go and sin no more. You see, after saving the woman from death and restoring her, he was then able to come into the point of rebuilding, into a life of victory without sin in it. It was only after he had shared and been able to save her life and bring some restoration, she was able to then go and be restored and rebuilt in her life because she had experienced the love and comfort that Jesus had given her beforehand. Jesus teaches us an, an amazing example here that um, sometimes we can find ourselves judge, judging others, judging others about their sin. And we have these attitudes towards other people's sin and sometimes forget about our own and where we came from. You see, we often focus when we see, when we see people that need Jesus, we often focus on their sin that needs something in their life that needs to change or a behavior that we find is sinful. And we focus on that so often and yet what we don't do is we don't spend the time investing, meeting people where they are first like Jesus did. Jesus didn't go straight to the don't sin anymore. He first of all saved and he brought restoration. He brought that with love and grace and comfort before he then thought about changing her behaviors for the future. That was the third part of the process. And so often we can forget about that and we rush in so much to go, you've got to change what you're doing. You've got to You've got to change that act. That's, that's just sinful act. Actually, it's about the love and grace, the saving power of a savior and the restoration that comes first. And then, naturally, Jesus says, go sin no more. And she's released into a life of victory. You see, people that we meet are not going to recognize their need for a savior unless we can first demonstrate the love and grace of that savior through the lives that we lead and the way that we interact with them just as Jesus did. So God wishes to reconcile the world um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in there that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you all are ministers this morning. You are all ministers of the reconciliation with God, of the world to God. We are all part of that. We're all ministers in that. And it says this in, 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 um, in chapter 5. Therefore, we became Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. Through us, we're Christ's ambassadors. And to fulfill the mission and that ministry of reconciliation, we do that through the way we reach out to people. We do that through the way we reach out to people. The ministry we've been given, I think, to reach out to people and turn hearts towards God is so vital and urgent at this time. I, I don't know about you, but I watch the news probably too much because it gets a bit depressing after a while when you watch it too much. But whenever I watch the news, my heart just goes, this is an urgency. You just see the end of the time. We've got the world on fire everywhere. We've got, we've got famines. We've got everything just seems disordered, doesn't it? It seems out of balance to what we're used to. The crimes, the wars, the, the, you know, just all of that that we see. It feels such an urgency even more for us to be Christ's ambassadors and bring about the reconciliation of a world that is lost and dying to a place of reconciliation with God. 
You know, Jesus paid the price for us. And what we've received through his forgiveness, his restoration, his rebuilding our lives, we should be able to share that message of love and grace with others. And it's through the overflow of that love and grace in our lives, that overflow that actually enables us to reflect that message in our lives, that people see that message in our lives, that overflow. You know, God is the, Jesus is the one that saves, and the Holy Spirit's the one that convicts, we know that. But we've got this beautiful privilege of being ambassadors of Christ as he does that. You know, we are the ambassadors that are vital to that. You know, with the same comfort God has given us through Jesus, we can reach out to people who are in desperate situations, we can show them the love that God has shown us. We can show them that we don't condemn people because God didn't condemn us. We can show them that God, Jesus loves them because he loves us. And it's that overflow that we can reach out to save the lost, to restore those that need it, and to rebuild the individual. That's our mission here <laughs> at Restore Church. So my second point this morning um, and apologies, I think we're having some computer issues, but yeah, you'll follow me. Um, <laughs> when I'm anchored, I can reach out to bear the weight of somebody else. So back in the second uh, book of Corinthians we were reading earlier, Paul says these words, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. In the message version of the Bible, it uses more explicit kind of phrases which are more in line with the original Greek, paraklesis. Anyone's forgotten? Everyone's got a Greek lesson this morning. And it, and it actually puts it this way. It says, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can share with that person just as God was there for us. He brings us alongside people. And when I started thinking about this, um, I was thinking about the image of climbers who support each other. Anyone a climber here? And nobody a climber. That's good. So if I get any of the facts wrong, no one's going no one's gonna correct me this morning. But there's, um, there's, there's a film I watched on, well, I won't tell you about it. Tony hates me talking about it because he thinks it's rubbish. But there's a film on, I watched a few weeks ago, and it's, it's, it's about falling and um, from heights, and there's these two climbers on there, but they don't set a very good example of how they're anchoring properly. But basically, if you think about, if you've anyone seen any climbers, have you seen them where they have these, these they connect to each other with a rope, and they have this, it's a system called belaying, um, and there's a belayer at the bottom of it, um, and the, be the belayer stands at the bottom is, and is anchored to something, or could be anchored in a rock face or whatever with, with anchoring, and the belayer is there, and they're connected to this other climber, and this other climber then is making their way up the cliff face or whatever. And the whole purpose of it is that the belayer feeds rope when the climber is going up. And then it, it stabilizes the rope when the climber is still. And if the climber falls, the climber only can drop a short way. Yeah, that's the whole point of it. It's to create this rope and this safety system that the belayer at the bottom um, is, is able to stop this other climber from falling if something was to happen. And the term belay also means a place where the belayer is anchored, which is typically the ground or a ledge, but as I said, sometimes can be in an overhanging ledge on a cliff face where they've got those little anchors into the actual rock face. And they're providing that support system to each other. 
And in this film I watched, honestly, it's a really suspense film. Uh, I describe it as it makes my feet sweat because it's so suspenseful with people like, falling. And they didn't, they didn't set their anchor quite right, rightly. So you can't anchor someone else if your anchor's not right yourself. But if you're anchored correctly, then this belaying system, and when it works correctly, it means that the belayer who's hold, can hold the entire weight of the other climber with hardly any force at all if it's anchored correctly. And they can, they can save somebody, if, even if they fall a long way. If you've got it set right, you can save somebody. And I was just thinking about this wonderful description of us being anchored in Jesus Christ so that we can be that rope connection to somebody else. If we're anchored correctly in Jesus Christ, then we can, we can push out a rope to bear somebody else's weight when they're going through hard times. We can just hold them and we can be that extra bit of safety that somebody might need. You know, God has not designed us to be isolated and alone. The very purpose of us coming together as church is that God wants to intentionally have us connect to each other so that we can encourage, we can equip each other, we can be there to support each other through whatever we're going through and strengthen each other. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep each other warm. But who will keep you warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. God's designed us and he wants us to be connected with each other, to be able to bear each other's weight. And I just love being part of the family of God. You know, there are so many people in the world who are isolated and lonely. Loneliness is a, a really, you know, hot topic, isn't it, that we see about many people suffering with loneliness. But in the body of Christ, we've all got this responsibility that nobody should feel lonely or isolated in the body of Christ. We're, we've got this responsibility. And one of the ways that we can support each other is bearing each other's burdens. In the book of Galatians, um, chapter 6, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So in this instruction, what is the law of Christ? Let's just remind ourselves, in Matthew 22, Jesus says these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There is commandment here in, in the law, and in fulfilling, when, when we bear each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. So what does it actually mean to bear each other's burdens? So the word bear just means to carry the weight of support, to hold somebody up. A burden means a heavy load, a heavy you know, duty, or you know, a misfortune that causes worry or hardship or distress. So when we consider the book of Galatians um, in, in chapter 6, and we put it into a different context, maybe it says this, it means that we should carry the weights that other people are carrying. We should support and hold other people up when they're going through hardship, worry, or distress. In other words, nobody should go through situations alone. As a body of Christ, together, we all have that responsibility to support each other. And, you know, we all need somebody at some time. Even if we think that we're strong, independent people, are quite independent most of the time, but we all do need somebody. If we think about Jesus, even Jesus needed support. 
Jesus was whipped and beaten. And what did, what did Peter, um, um, not Peter, Simon, what did Simon do? He came and he carried the cross. Jesus was supposed to carry his cross to the place where it would be erected for him to be crucified. And, and Simon came along and he carried the cross for him. So we all need somebody that's going to carry that burden for us during times of difficulty in our life, no matter who we are. And in the book of Exodus, um, chapter 17, we see a wonderful example of how somebody bared someone's burden. So this was about Moses and how he had his burden bared. And um, in in verse 8, it says this, in in chapter 17, verse 8, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, Moses said to Joshua, choose one of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. I just can't get my tongue around it. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. This is a weird battle place to be in, isn't it? (laughs) Raise your hand, you win. Oh, no, you don't. You can imagine him going like this all day. But when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, the other on the other side. So Joshua, and, and that managed, and they held him steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. What a fantastic example of coming alongside somebody and literally bearing the weight that he had, holding up their hands in the midst of that battle. And I think there's a really important point in this example. Aaron and Hur, they couldn't fix Moses' problems. They couldn't take it away from him. They couldn't remove it. It was his to bear. Moses was the one that had to keep his hands up. They couldn't remove it from him. He had to do that. But they could come alongside him and help bear the weight during it. You know, we can't always take, we can't take each other's problems away from them. We can't just remove all of that. But we can come alongside people and help bear the weight when we're going through those difficulties. And, you know, it's just important that we shouldn't, um, you know, use this command and the example of bearing each other's weights to neglect our own responsibilities. You know, we've all got personal responsibility to, to deal with things that are thrown at us. And we, you know, we seek God's will in our lives and we, we pray those things through. So there's this balance between, you know, you know, our selfless giving to others and our own personal responsibility. But nonetheless... Aaron and her demonstrated that we can come alongside each other and bear each other's weights going through those times. So what did Aaron and her do and what might, how that might help us to think about how we might bear each other's burdens? So first of all, they recognized his need. They recognized the need. They listened and they saw that he was getting tired. There was some observation in here. Maybe he was saying, oh, I can't do this much longer. <laughs> 
You know, sometimes you're in praise and worship. We have our hands up for a five, five minutes and we go, hey, oh, my hands are getting, you know. So can you imagine Moses at the top? The battle is going to, we're going to lose if I can't, but I can't hold it up. So maybe he was actually saying something out loud that they were able to listen to and take heed of and to then go and respond to uh, because they actually had heard what he was saying and they were able to then go and do something. So we can be observant with each other. And um, I was thinking about this, that just simply asking somebody how they are. I was thinking about this yesterday. We've got a stiff upper lip in Britain, haven't we? Our stiff upper lip. How many times we go, how are you? And our instant response is, I'm fine. I'm good. Great. Life's brilliant. There was a study done a few years ago by um, the Mental Health Foundation, and it, re- it studied 2,000 people, and it found that on average, the average adult would say, I'm fine, 14 times per week, though really just 19% of them meant it. I understand that, um, you know, don't, get, don't hear me wrong, We're not going to just go and bear all of our burdens to everybody. So the bus driver, when I get on, he says, how are you this morning? And I go, well, actually, no, I've got all of these issues. So obviously, we're not going to be doing that. (laughs) I think some people do. (laughs) But obviously, most of us aren't going to do that. We're going to say, yeah, we're fine in in that instance. But there are times when actually there's a genuine question, how are you doing? And actually having people around us that we can genuinely be genuine with and say, actually... I need a bit of help with this. I saw on um, it's a YouTube video yesterday. Um, there was this. There was this. You might have seen it. I think it's about a men's mental health thing. You know, men are worse about admitting things than women. Big campaigns at the moment. So there's this men's mental health thing, and there was this guy. He was trapped under a log in a forest, and this other guy came along to him and said, "How you doing?" And he went, "I'm fine." And he's trapped under this tree. He'd fallen on him. He says, "I'm fine." So then the chap turns around and turns around again and says, so how are you really doing? And he went, actually, I could do it with a bit of help. So there's a bit of questioning, genuine. If we genuinely ask people how they are, let's wait and genuinely want a response, you know, with people that we know, we trust, and we can come alongside. I challenged myself the other day how sometimes I've already answered the question for somebody when I ask them how they are in the way that I asked the question. So I say, how are you? Okay? I've already answered the question in doing that. So let's be genuine in how we genuinely listen and take account of each other, recognizing the needs um, that, that we have. You know, I don't think Pete, um, Jesus asked Peter for help. He probably didn't. Um, but Peter saw the need and he stepped in to take action at that time. The other thing that Aaron and Hur did is they came alongside him and then they took that action. You know, we can help carry someone's burdens in the really simplest of ways, but really just by being a friend. Just by being a friend. You know, we can cook a meal, we can give someone a call, we can send them a word of encouragement, we can, you know, say, let's go out for a walk, can we grab a coffee, can we have a meal together? There's loads of things that we can do just to be a friend to somebody and that helps to bear their burdens. And one of the most important things that we can do is with our prayer, praying for people. We pray a lot in this church. It's so fundamentally important. But actually through prayer, you can really help to bear someone's burden. I was reminded uh, back in April this year, Tony was in surgery. He was due to have a major operation. And, you know, there were people praying 
I think Steve was on a prayer walk with all the leaders in around this area. The prayer meeting was meeting here. We had all our family and friends were praying. There were people over the world that were praying for this, not just for the surgery, but for us as individuals. And do you know, we really felt the, the weight of that being, that bearing of our weight. No one could stop the operation apart from Jesus, which he actually did. <laughs> and he brought about a miracle. We say, thank you, God, for that. But no one could take that away from us. But people came alongside and through their prayers, they bore the burden. They helped bear that burden. And there's a real tangible impact that you feel when people are praying for you. Amen? We feel that when people are praying for us, that it actually holds us up. And then the other thing that they did is that they stayed until the end. So it's all very well to say, oh, John, I'll help you out today. But tomorrow you're still going through the same thing and nobody's there. Staying, going through there. We've got to be prepared to, you know, stay the course, you know, help people. Aaron and her, it says in, in, in this book of the Bible, it says, they held up Moses' hands until the battle was won. They stayed until the end. They stuck it out. They were true friends, true people that came alongside. They stuck it out until the battle was won. So he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And I'm so aware that God's poured so much comfort into my life over the last 12 months particularly, but when I think about it beyond that, so I challenge myself and I challenge you, how am I pouring that comfort into someone else's life? How do I pour that comfort back into somebody else's life as our responsibility to do that. And so my final point then this morning is that when we're anchored, when I'm anchored, I can reach out to grasp hold the promise of God in my life. That sounds good, doesn't it? Reach out to grab hold of the promise of God in my life. Going back to our, our, our scripture for today, 2 Corinthians, for the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. This is good news. This is good news. Yes, life is full of challenges and trials, and, the, and you know things will be difficult in our lives, but the good news is that the goodness of God, the comfort of God, will be there, and it will be more than the hard times. Yeah? As the challenges come... As more challenges come, so there's more opportunity for God to pour his goodness into our lives. So there's more opportunity for God to do the miraculous in our lives. So there's more opportunity for us to see that. And Jesus promised his disciples and us that he would send an advocate. In the King James Version, it uses the word comforter. He will send the comforter who will be with them forever, will never leave them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He will be the spirit of truth. He will be sent in the name of Jesus. He will teach all things relating to what Jesus had taught them. He will be sent by Jesus. After Jesus has gone away, he appears on Christ's behalf as mediator, intercessor, helper, and comforter. Isn't that wonderful? The comforter of the Holy Spirit. And it's through Jesus that we have access to the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. Jesus said these words, I will ask the father not the father will send jesus specifically said i will ask the father and he will give you another comforter because jesus asks who will help you whoever loves me will be loved by the father and also me 
All of this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It was Jesus that specifically asked for this Comforter to come. So when we're connected and anchored to Jesus, that's why we have access to the Comforter of the Holy Spirit. God's called us to a life of adventure through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone like adventure films? I love a good adventure film. You sat on the edge of your seat normally, aren't you? It's really tense. It's really tense when you're going through the film. You think, which way is it going to go? It's really, like, you know, suspenseful. You don't know. But, but ultimately then, we get to the end of it, and the goodie seems to always beat the baddie, <laughs> particularly if it's James Bond, you know. <laughs> so the goodies will beat the baddies. The victory comes, and everyone goes, whew, whew. Wasn't that an adventure? It was like a roller coaster film where we went around and they had these adventure things. And um, I was thinking about the Bible, and actually, you know, some people think when you say, Oh, I've got to read my Bible, and they go, Oh, it's a really hard book. <sighs> Do you know what? It's such an amazing book of life and revelation of uh, victory and God's goodness overpowering the enemy. Um, It is such an amazing book, full of adventure and full of uh, the promises of God, of how God wants us to live our lives and to be overcoming of of evil in the lives that we lead. And, you know, films, I sometimes say we all know how these films end, don't we? They all end, they're a bit predictable. We all know that the goodie beats the baddie at the end, so I don't know why we get so suspenseful during the middle of it, because we know the outcome pretty much. And actually, in life, we already know the outcome. Jesus Christ has already won the victory on our behalf. He is victorious, he has conquered, he has overcome the power of darkness, and he has done that once and for all. It is finished, it is done, and the life that we live is victorious because we already know the answer. We already know that Jesus has already won the victory. He has overcome the power of the devil. And he sits victoriously at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on a daily basis. Jesus never promised it would be easy. There's not many adventure films that are particularly easy. They wouldn't be adventure or any adventures that we go on in life if it was going to be easy. They wouldn't be, you know... They wouldn't have that kind of suspense in them. They wouldn't have that if, there was, if it was easy. But God has promised that despite the difficulties, the comfort that he showers on us is more. So we know with absolute confidence that despite those difficulties, the confidence is there. That God will give us more of his goodness than possibly could ever come upon us through the badness or any of the difficulties and those trials that we face. It is always enough because we are overcomers in the name of Jesus Christ. So often, though, we settle for our lives being a little bit dull, a little bit boring, a little bit afraid to step out into the adventure that God wants us to. Sometimes we forget to grab hold of those promises and live a life that is, you know, full of victory and full of, you know, all of the things that God has made possible in our lives through Jesus Christ and sending us the power of the Holy Spirit. When Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land, he faced obstacles and enemies. But he held on to this promise. He said, the Lord goes before me. He will be with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Do not be afraid. 
do not be discouraged. You know, Joshua knew the will of God. The promise had been spoken that they would inherit the land, that they would walk into the promised land. So the promise of the victory was assured. Our promise of our victory is already assured through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, through overcoming the power of darkness. Our victory is already assured. We already know that promise. Our ability to be bold and courageous, though, in the face of the adversities and the challenges that we face is directly connected with us knowing the will of God. What's God's will for my life? Knowing the promises of God through his word that he sets it out and having the confident hope to step out in faith, to grab hold of the promise in our lives through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. That's what connects us to this. How are we going to face our adversities? How are you going to face the challenges that come? Are we just going to shy away and go and go cower away? Or are we going to face it and step out in faith and say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I know what your word says about me, God, because I know what your will is for my life, that I'm victorious, because I know that there's power in the name of Jesus, I'm going to step out in confident hope that you've got this secured. And I'm not going to shy away from the enemy. I'm going to step out in confident hope that you've got what it takes to bring me through victoriously. You know, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Some of you might be here. The very thought of doing a bungee jump. Anyone done a bungee jump? Anyone jumped out of a plane? <laughs> no. The very thought of jumping out of an aeroplane at whatever thousand feet that they do it fills me with complete dread. I would much rather be inside the cabin, sitting there with my with my iPad on, nice and comfortable, with a drink and watching a movie, thank you very much, than jumping at the thought of jumping out of it. But actually, when I think about living a life of adventure, anchored in Jesus, with full access to the promise of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, now that fills me with excitement. Does that fill you with excitement? Living a life of adventure, anchored in Jesus, with full access to the promise of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, living this life of adventure, it takes courage. It takes courage. And it requires us to make a conscious decision to be intentional, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ. Intentional, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ. You know, being an intentional, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? It means that we crave knowing God. We crave being in his presence. We crave reading what his will is for us in our lives. We crave understanding the promise of God. We long for the Holy Spirit power to fill our lives. And we're prepared to step out, make sacrifices to please God and advance the kingdom of God here on earth. It's being a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Sold-out follower. You know, the alternative, you can, you can believe, you can be a believer in Jesus without being an intentional follower of Jesus. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus. They're not intentional followers of Jesus. Just being simply a believer, we can attend church. We can believe in Jesus. We can give God the aspects of our life that we feel comfortable giving him. Keeping the rest of it safely tucked away for ourselves. But this denies the power. It denies the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe God has amazing things that he wants to do in you, through you, and for you. If you are willing to be an intentional 
sold out follower of Jesus, to reach out, to grab hold of the promise, to live a faith-filled, spirit-filled life, living in the promises, the life of adventure, living in the promises of God, reaching out and grabbing hold of that which he's made possible for us through Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ who made it possible for us to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what's the bigger purpose? Being anchored to Jesus. We're anchored to Jesus. We can reach out, save, restore, rebuild those that are lost, those that urgently need to be connected and introduced to a savior of love and grace in their lives. It's our core purpose here, to restore church. We want to reach out and save the lost. We want to restore. We want to rebuild the individual. It's our core purpose. By being anchored to Jesus, we can reach out to do that. When I'm anchored to Jesus, I can bear the weight of somebody else. I absolutely just love this church and so many of our church is just such wonderful comforters, <laughs> bearing each other's burdens. When we go through hard times, let's come alongside each other. Let's make sure we come alongside each other with genuine, genuine desire to help bear each other's burdens through difficulties that we will all inevitably face. Jesus said, you will face challenges. We bear each other's burdens. And when I'm anchored, I can reach out and grasp the promise of God in my life. Let's be intentional, sold out, followers of Jesus, seeking the will of God, the promise of God in our lives, reading his word and having the confident hope that we can step out, step out in that faith, grab hold of those promises that he set before us, live an amazing, adventurous life with Jesus Christ by saying, I'm going to be a true, intentional follower of you, Jesus. Surrender in everything else. Follow you, Jesus. No turning back. I want to follow you, Jesus. Are you ready for the adventure? I want to stand to our feet this morning. talked a lot about being anchored and anchored to Jesus and I deliberately put my points in this order because there's this urgency in the first one of being able to reach out to save to restore and to rebuild but actually we can't reach out to others unless we're anchored truly in Jesus throughout this whole series when we're anchored, we can anchor. We can be the anchor of someone else. We can reach out to others. And really, I just want to set a challenge to us this morning about are we willing to be intentional, sold out, followers, not just believers, but followers of Jesus Christ? Will we access full power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we know the will of God 
We know what the word of God says because we're reading it. We're immersing ourselves in that. Because we're spending time with God, we know what his heart says about us. Because we surrendered things to God. We surrendered our lives to God. We say, God, come and use us to do whatever you want to do to advance the kingdom of God, to reach out, to save, rebuild, and restore in this city, in our families, in our workplace, in our communities. Jesus. I just want to set us this challenge that if we're ready for an adventure, we're ready to be sold out. I just want you to lift your hands if you're ready to say to Jesus this morning, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to follow you into whatever you take me. I'm ready to follow you. I want to be a sold out, intentional follower of Jesus Christ. I give you everything, no turning back. Will you take me on the adventure with you this morning? Will you pour out your spirit into my life? Will you empower me? Will you help me to reach out and to grasp the promises, the confident hope that I have in you this morning? Jesus, I say to you, I'm ready for the adventure with you. I'm ready to follow you intentionally. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you, Jesus, that you pour your presence into our lives. You pour your power into our lives. And Lord God, I know that when I'm intentionally following you, I'm intentionally following you, I just thank you right now for the good things that you're going to do in for and through me as I live my life for you here on earth, anchored to Jesus, but reaching out to the lost and the world around us. Yes, as we await your return, but I'm anchoring to you and following you, saying, God, we're serious about this. I'm ready for the adventure with you. Thank you for all that you're going to do. We say thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.